Kenny Chester Podcast. Welcome back to the Kenny Chester Podcast. I am your host, Kenny Chester, and today we're going to do another installment of the Adventures in Preaching series. This past weekend, which was the last weekend of July, the first Sunday in August, my family was able to go down to the sunny beaches of northern Florida, and in that opportunity, I was blessed and honored to be able to speak in two different pulpits. So today, we're going to be talking about two messages that I preached over the weekend. Buckle up. Let's get to work. I don't know. It seems to me that he shouldn't be saying that. Well, what is it that you want him to say? Shut him down. Before we get started today, let me just say that we had a fantastic time on vacation. Um, It's a vacation that we really didn't do a whole lot of planning for. Uh, It was getting about time to go back to school, and we had talked about going to the mountains. If you're unfamiliar with the terrain of Tennessee, we live in West Tennessee, but on the other side of the state, we have some mountainous scenes over there. It's a beautiful country, uh, or part of the country, I should say, and um, it's in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, and a lot of our families uh, growing up in Tennessee, you would vacation out there, so there's a lot of nostalgia involved out there. Um, we had previously made a weekend trip to Knoxville, um, so we got a little bit of that, but we didn't go into Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg area. Um, so we had talked about that, but right now, for some reason, I've never seen it like this in my life. We've been vacationing there my, my entire life, and um, the pricing was just kind of crazy. Uh, we're looking to do something later in the fall on the kids' fall break, so we didn't want to spend um, a whole lot of money doing that and leave us with not, not enough for those uh, trips that we have planned. We've got some family we're going to be visiting in the fall and, and things of, of that nature. And so, but it was getting close to school time. Uh, my children love the beach. We hadn't been, did anything like that over the summer. And so I had a friend, um, shout out to Pastor Jonathan King in Dufiniac Springs, Florida, um, who had invited us down. Uh, well, we were preached uh, uh, Camp Knox. You remember him from the Camp Knox episode. If you haven't heard that episode, it's a great episode about youth camps. Um, he was a part of that uh, dais um, that day. And so they they pastored down in Dufiniac, and he had so graciously invited us to come and preach for them at some point when we got down there, um, and they had a, a great place for us to stay. Uh, long story short, uh, it was just kind of a dream uh, scenario. We got to go down there and take the kids to the beach. Um, I have an uncle that pastors in Fort Walton, um, so I, I was with him Sunday morning. Shout out to Shane Chesser, uh, pastoring Greater Vision in Fort Walton Beach, and so we were there Sunday morning with him, and then Sunday evening at Definiac Springs with uh, Pastor King. And in the the in between times, we were soaking up some rays uh, with the children at the beach, and it was such a fun uh, vacation. We actually uh, did a beach tour. Um, we usually go if we're staying at the beach. We usually just pretty much stay right there where we're at. Since we're staying a little bit off and we had the same uh, corridor that we traveled every day to get to the beach, uh, about thirty uh, miles away. We just we we did separate different beaches. Every time we'd go to the beach, we'd go to a different beach, and then we'd leave for a meal and let the kids get out of the sun a little bit and um, uh, reapply sunscreen and get back to another beach. We'd go to another beach, and so there's a special section down there called 30A, and it's a road that runs uh, basically. It probably runs more than this route, but there's some beaches on this corridor that is uh, known for. Uh, 
a good time, and that is in between Panama and Destin. It's 30A, and there's and we ended up doing around seven beaches. Um, if you're looking for the winner of those beaches, uh, all of them were beautiful. Obviously, they're imaginary lines that we've divided these beaches um, as far as like you know this one's called this and this is called that. So there are a lot of them are similar and 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 they're but as far as the way they were set up in the communities that were associated with them, I think our favorite beach was uh, Seaside. Um, seaside and watercolor we literally accessed the beach right on the line that divided those two communities and so we were uh you know literally you could step one foot on one one on the other and it was it was beautiful i also enjoyed inlet beach uh we did blue mountain beach which my wife loved because she was uh, graduated from blue mountain college in north mississippi uh so to have the name associated that was really cool um the kids had a great time they're getting braver going out further and further into the uh the ocean so it all in all it was a great trip so let's get into the episode today talking about um, adventures in preaching and my personal journey over into the expository side of things. And so this Sunday, with the two opportunities, I um, preached expositionally in both those uh, services, uh, the first of which uh, I preached from my uncle that Sunday morning. And I took my text from Psalms 121 and just read the whole chapter. If you're unfamiliar with this portion of scripture, it's in a part of a 15-song collection called the Songs of Degrees or the Song of Ascents. And um, so in breaking down verse by verse, I went through this scripture to talk about exactly what these people could be referring to. Uh, It's a very famous passage of scripture. Um, I'm not saying that everybody I've ever heard preach got it wrong, but as I study, I realized that there might be some misconceptions around this verse. And so I went through and explained my thinking on it, what what I feel like. The, the, the Word of God is saying there, um, we put it in the historical context. Uh, and so if you're uh, ready to go on the adventure, let's, let's, let's start with verse 1. It says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. And so the, I, I, obviously I read the whole passage as a text, and then I went line by line through there. The first thing that I discussed in the, in the sermon or, or pointed out was that um, there was a time in my life where I believe that this this verse was actually a command to look to the hills from where your help's coming from. And the more I read and more I study, I, I believe that second line there uh, is actually a question. Um, instead of, I will lift up my eyes from whence my help cometh from, I think it's read, in my opinion, I think it's read, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help, question mark. Like, as in, you know, I'm looking at the hills and I'm wondering, you know, where where is my help going to come from? And and the reason I believe this, and there's a, there's a lot of scholarship behind this, but the reason I believe this is that the next verse tells us where our help is coming from. So the help is coming from the Lord, which made the heaven and the earth. So the second line of that, to me, points out that he's actually the maker of the hills. If he says, I'm looking for my help, which is coming from the Lord, who he he actually made the heaven and the earth. So I think it's important that he points out right there that that the hills that I'm looking at, um, the the help that I've got is is coming from the man that made the hills. And so, as as we go on, it's developing this idea that we're actually we the hills that 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 are there aren't representing of our salvation. Um, these hills here are representative actually of of physical obstruction. Um, and the reason I say that is because that these songs were sung by uh, pilgrims going to Israel to worship on Zion. So they're on their way to worship. And as they look to the hills, they're seeing everything that's going to prevent them from an easy journey, so to speak. 
And again, there's debate on how the the songs were written, who they were written by, what the the origins were. That ain't, that ain't what the message is about. Although those things are very helpful to have. Uh, you know, there's some debate saying that they were written uh, for the temple dedication. That there's 15 songs of ascent, so you're going up. There's 15 steps leading up uh, into the temple, and so all these things are great points, great preaching points. But that's not the the point of the message today. This was I'm trying to call the congregation's eyes higher than the hills. The idea was, you know, stop looking at the hills between you and the house of God, those things that um, could be pretty treacherous treacherous on your journey. Don't look at the physical. Look at the God, the metaphysical God that made the physical. And I think that that's pointed out in those, those, those first four lines. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. So I'm looking at the hills. I'm on my way to the house of God. I'm looking at the hills. Now, where does my help come from? My help coming from the Lord. He answers the question. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. So he's the maker of the hills. And so the, the title of the message was Higher Than the Hills. And I'm trying to get people's attention to call up higher. Now you say, I don't know if, if this is uh, it, Brother Chester. I mean, obviously, um, I've heard it preached that, you know, lift up your eyes to the hills in which the Lord is going to descend from and and, and help you. Or kind of like a Gandalf you know, on, on the Battle of Helm's Deep where he rides from the hill, uh, which is obviously have spiritual undertones and, and J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, voice when he says, look to the east on the third day. It's, you know, obviously, if you if you ever read that or seen that depicted anywhere, I mean, it's a, it, you can get chills almost. It's a, it's a beautiful s- scenario. And I used to, and I had that idea surrounding this, but I really don't think that's, that's what it was. We've actually got scripture um, that says that looking to the hills for salvation uh, is 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 vanity. It says in Jeremiah three and twenty three that truly is in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly, in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. And so the prophet says this. The psalmist says basically the same thing. It's like, look, stop looking at the hills. That's not where your help's coming from. Your help's coming from the Lord. Now, listen, you can take it in the direction. And I didn't do this this time. I've preached this message before, and I ended with, if you are looking to a hill for salvation, a great hill to look to would be would be Calvary. And it, it makes a great point because the hills of obstruction that these people that were having to traverse in this portion of Scripture— they, those are the same hills that Jesus was crucified on. And so you could say, well, maybe it was prophetic. I don't think that this verse was prophetic. I mean, but you can make a case that it was prophetic, that I'm going to look to that hill from which my help is coming. And that, that, that you know, you could preach. I'm sure it's got a lot of preaching power. Personally, I do not believe that this song is talking about that. I think this song is literally um, talking about the physical obstructions that keep the people from the house of God. And the song is to call their attention to the things that would keep them are weaker than the things that keeps them. <laughs> I did not preach that, but as I'm saying that out loud, that's a pretty cool alliteration. And it goes into the next scripture. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon that right hand. If you're reading the Bible, one thing that you should be reading and studying, especially if you're preparing for a message, but if you're also just reading it to glean wisdom, you need to look for repetitive patterns, things that are repeated for emphasis. That's what the writer is, is he's emphasizing something. Um, and so if you, if you notice in these three verses, the word keep is there. He keepeth thee will not slumber. He that keepeth Israel. And then the Lord is thy keeper. And so you've got this, this keeping power. Um, and so I didn't mean to transition to that from saying the thing that's keeping you from the house of the Lord or on your way to Zion is weaker than the thing that keeps you. 
and that's actually, you know, I need to make a note <laughs> on the podcast. You guys have literally, we're talking about adventures in preaching, and I just got a a, a, a different thought for that message or an, an, an ancillary point uh, for that message. Um, and so the idea is that when they look across the hills, there are three dangers, and there might be some more. Maybe some of my listeners can pick out some more. I noticed some. I noticed three dangers uh, in study that could could definitely um, keep the people of God from looking at the hills with with a with a sense of hey, you know, like this is gonna be a roller coaster. It's not, you know, it's not fun. And those those three things that I point out are physical obstruction. Hills are are difficult to climb, obviously, especially if you're traveling with women and children and livestock. You know, you'd rather drop probably across a plane than a mountain. Uh, so you got the physical obstruction. Number two, history tells us that there are thieves that hid in the hills outside of Jerusalem. Bands of of marauders, you know, would hide in the caves that made for good, um, easy escapes and and they could uh, um, hide out from uh, people seeking to bring them to justice. And and then the third point, and this is one of the points that, that I drew uh, heavy down on, is that, that false gods are set up in the hills outside of Jerusalem. If you'd see the, the history of Israel is a cycle of, of a great revival, like living for God, having, uh, you know, uh, consecrated people backslide in Israel, and then they set up false gods, uh, worship false god, and, and they would set them up. The, the Bible would say a, a phrase called the high places. They would plant groves in the high places. They'd set up idols in the high places, and then when when they would you know they would they would be uh, chastised by the Lord sometimes by the Philistines sometimes by um, another uh, invading army. Um, they would cry out, you know, repent. They would cry out. They'd have and then they would have great revival. God would send a deliverer, and that's the cycle of uh, Israel. So I'm there. I'm paraphrasing obviously but that's usually the 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 main points of the cycle well one of the things that they would always do during that season of repentance was that they would cast down their idols they would go up to the high places and cut down their groves and so the false gods are also set up in the the high places of outside of Jerusalem and I think this is what Jeremiah is talking about the one that we've already discussed that truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills from the multitude of the mountains so people would look to that and say oh God you know whatever God it was if it was Baal or, or whoever, they would seek salvation from the hills. And so I think that's another reason why, you know, we said, you know, I will look to the hills from from whence my help cometh. You know, where's am I, am I looking there? Is my help going to come from there? It's going to be one of those false gods that help me. And the answer is, is, is the Lord is my help. My, my, my salvation is coming from him. He's the maker of the hills. He's the maker of the heavens and the earth. And so that's the point of the message. I go through that. I point out the the repetitive nature of keepeth, 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 uh, and then the the last three uh, verses. It talks about preserve. Um, you know, the Lord shall preserve thee, or the last two, um, thee from evil. He shall preserve thy soul. He shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time and evermore. And so that's the that's the basically the crux of the message. There's more points that I make about. Um, End time prophecy, uh, when you're going to see signs in the heavens and the earth, uh, there's going to be signs of both things. When Jesus is talking uh, and telling what it's going to be like when before he comes, there's going to be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, earth will be distressed of nations, perplexity, seas and waves roaring, men's hearts failing them. You know, you're familiar with the, the passage of Scripture. Um, and the idea is when Jesus says all this, when you see these things come to pass, then look up. And again, that that goes into what I'm talking about with this this psalm is that you're not looking high enough, and it's 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 funny to me that he says look up, 
when the heavens are falling, <laughs> you know, that, how, like, okay, I'm looking up and I, that's not, that's not uh, helping me any because the, <laughs> the stars are falling out of the sky. The sun has turned to blood. Um, there's going to be signs in the sun. I, I personally think that's going to be like solar flares and, and things like that. It's going to be terrifying to look up, but he says, no, 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 look up, lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth nigh. So your help is actually coming from higher than the heavens, which bears out in that Psalm at the beginning, which says the maker of heavens and earth. So sometimes we just aren't looking high enough. We got to look higher than the hills. If you're looking for help coming outside of the physical, you have to look to the metaphysical. If you're looking for help to come out of the natural, you have to look to the supernatural. So you're not looking high enough. You got to look higher than the hills. And that's the message for that Sunday morning. Um, the next message that I did was that Sunday night, um, I was um, able to uh, preach. This was a message now of on my expository journey this probably was one of the first messages I ever truly preached in the expository style. I remember when I when I developed this sermon uh, years ago, and it was it was the um, I'd, I'd heard this story my whole life. It's the parable of the lost um, son, the the prodigal son. Uh, it's taken from Luke fifteen, and. I heard this preached my entire life. It's one of those great parables, those great stories. Some believe this is the crowning jewel of Jesus' parables. And it, it's a beautiful, beautiful story um, from beginning to end. The whole chapter is a trilogy of lost things. It's a three stories about lost things. And it can be, you can take this in, in any way you want. I mean, you could preach a series out of this. You, you really could. You could preach this over the course of weeks. Um just the lost uh, son you could, but also the trilogy, if you back it out and just do Luke 15, or just all these sayings of Jesus in this portion, it's truly, truly inexhaustible, um, as we're going to find out in this uh, the last half of today's episode. Um, you can just dig down deep. And so I had been preaching this message expositionally for a long time. Uh, one of the things that set me on uh, fire about this was a book that I read by Timothy Keller. And I remember when I first read it, it was I was I was young and I didn't want anybody else to read it. <laughs> Cause I was like, oh man, I got something good here. It's gold. And it was. It was such a gold, golden. And I, I think to this day it's still my favorite one of his books. Um I like his apologetics as well. I like his book on preaching. Um as something I haven't talked about on the episode. It's actually very it's in favor of expository preaching. He's got a book uh, on preaching. It's really, really good. I read it last month along with um Albert Moeller's uh, He Is Not Silent, which was another incredible book. Um, so the title of the Keller book is called The Prodigal God, and I, now I, I recommend it for people to read. Um, I don't I don't try to hoard hoard it anymore because of the, the the nuggets that I found. I was like, you know what, this is this is silly. You need to share this. Uh, other people can glean some wisdom from this man's years of study. That's why you read books. That's why you read commentaries. Is that you you see what people other people say about that. Um, you don't just take it for the gospel. You don't just take it for it's like, well, if they say so, then it's inspired. That's not how it works. But you go and then you read and 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 you test it and you and you you dig down deeper. You put out feelers. You know, almost like depth finders. I, I think of the scriptures a lot of times as someone being on a, a boat. And you can have the surface level experience where only the things that you see, you know, is, is that's the only thing that's there on the first glance, the first passing. But that's not true, that there's there's many things lurking underneath, you know, some big fish that that if you if you just if you are patient, if you got the right uh, tools that you can pull out these these these, you know, the, the scriptures, uh, it's it's unsearchable. You, you're not going to be able to search all out. I shouldn't say unsearchable. Uh, but what I'm saying is his ways are past finding out his 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 wisdom is a vast treasure trove of an in inexhaustible um, wealth, and so you're not going to be able to uh, one one person is not going to be able to uh, bring out all the wisdom 
of the, the, the Word of God. And so you go in, in deeper study. And this is one thing I did with this scripture. I found out things that weren't not in uh, Pastor Keller's um, book, which he, he might have, obviously, he probably, you know, uh, got those things as well. They might not have fit into the book or, you know, he was trying to edit it down. And some things, you know, if you're editing uh, writings, you know, some things just fall on the cutting room floor. I get that. But there were some things that I found out when the way that I study and, and how I picked out a pattern that uh, that come into play. And it was really the, one of the main uh, thrust of the message is the pattern that, that's not within the book. And so you don't just go around and preaching other people's thoughts, other people's books as your own. Um, you, you, you'd you say, this is um, what the Word of God says. This is what others have said about the Word of God, and this is you know what I feel like the Word of God is saying uh, to us tonight. And so one of the things that Kel- uh, Keller does just in a masterful way is he sets the stage of Jesus's listeners in a way that already kind of lets the cat out of the bag. I mean, he's so good at setting the stage that you think of things like, wow, I never even considered that, that is brilliant, and that is exactly why Jesus would have used this uh, story, why the characters of the story behaved in a certain way. And so what he does, he calls attention, you know, the, the story is on the prodigal son, but that that doesn't start until like verse 11. So there's 10 verses where he, he talks about the lost sheep and the lost coin. But even before those two parables, Jesus, uh, the scripture qualifies, Luke is the writer here in this gospel. Um, Luke qualifies who Jesus is talking to. Verse one, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for here, for to hear him. Okay, so we have one group. Now these are obviously sinners. It literally labels them sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners. These are the people that the religious people did not like, um, and and they uh, specifically despised uh, the publicans, the tax collectors. They thought they were traitors um, of the Jewish people. But then the sinners, obviously, as a religious person, if you're very pious, you probably have a a view of sin, and and, and these guys definitely did when it came to uh, intermingling with sinners. Uh, Verse 2, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Okay, now the stage is set. Now we understand, okay, this is the crowd. There are two groups of people in the crowd. Now, when you think of that in in the context of the prodigal son, this is already enlightening. Okay, why is this important? Well, there are two groups of people that are listening to Jesus talk in this parable, and that is religious people and sinners. Sinners and saints, so to speak. These are these are these are the, the the two groups, and so when Jesus in the verse eleven, when he gets into a certain man had two sons, you know, you start your light bulb should already start flickering. Let me, uh, I'm just going to read a passage from uh, Timothy Keller's book here. Um, after uh, preaching this Sunday, my wife says, "You know what? I, I need to finally read that book." And I have I have almost all of Keller's works. I should say all of, I've got a several of his works. The dude cranks out <laughs> books, you know, almost every month. It feels like so I don't have all of them, but I have a lot of his works. And um, and so she was reading. She's actually bedside, so I picked up the the book, and I'm going to read just some chapter one, paragraph two. It says, "It is crucial to notice the historical setting that the audience or the author provides for Jesus's teaching." In the first two verses of the chapter, Luke recounts that there are two groups of people who had come to listen to Jesus. First, there were the tax collectors and sinners. These men and women corresponded to the younger brother. They observed neither the moral laws of the Bible nor the rules of ceremonial purity followed by the religious Jews. They engaged in wild living. Like the younger brother, they left home by leaving the traditional morality of their families and respectable society. The second group of listeners was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were represented by the elder brother. They held to the traditional morality of their upbringing. They studied and obeyed the scripture. They worshiped faithfully and prayed constantly. Okay, so again, 
Keller has set the stage of, of, of greater understanding of the Scripture. And so my, my sermon title is Lost Boys. And the reason I, 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 I give it at the beginning, and, and, I, and I want people to be thinking, okay, now I know about the lost son. Tell me about the lost boys. So the idea is that by the end of the story, and we're not going to go verse by verse. We're at 23 minutes, and there's literally 22 verses left after this, and so we can't read them verse by verse. Again, I'm not I'm not attempting to preach my message to you guys. I'm telling I'm talking to you and walking you through the thought processes of of the message. And so if you want to if you want to hear that message, you can pull up uh, First Pentecostal Church of Definiac Springs. I think they have a uh, a Facebook page, and you can actually watch in real time or not real time, but as it happened in real time. Um, all you know, the event recorded live, um, no editing. You you can see how that message went over uh, in that in that context. And so I'm just kind of walking you through some of the highlights and the thought processes of of going through this passage of scripture. And so we have the two groups in the crowd that qualifies all the words that Jesus is about to say. He's talking to these people, and that's important because. He's using these characters to bring out eternal truth. That's what a parable does. Parable is is I wouldn't say a fictional account, um, you know, because of you would when you say fiction, you want to say well, uh, let's just when we say myth or fable, I like that better because they 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 have a moral to the story. You can have a fictional account that's just just made up, but fables and myths are sometimes truer than actual occurrences because they have an eternal truth that's encapsulated in the story itself. And this is what these parables are. Did it happen or not? I, I, I would say, depends on what you mean. Like, is it? Are you talking about it was an actual occurrence on a date and time in history, or are you saying that this thing happened all the time? I, I, I think that this type of thing happens all the time. It's truer than than uh, facts, if that makes sense. There is a there is an eternal truth that is bared out by the actions of these people that represents many stories, many people, many dates over what we consider time, this happens over and over. So I think it's truer than true uh, when it comes to, you know, the, the, the did it really happen debate. Um, so Jesus is talking to these guys, and they know exactly, exactly the response that should have been to the Father. And so, man, we got, we're at 25. I might have could have done a whole episode, and I probably could have because the, the, the sermon, is, there's, so, there's so many things that, that, that you can bring out. One of the things that I bring out early on is that the first act of the story, um, it, it, it it spends a lot of time um, telling about the father restoring the younger boy, the younger son. And again, if you haven't read this story, again, I, I hate. I'm sorry that I, uh, that I'm skipping the. the I'm, I'm assuming that my listeners at this point know the story of the prodigal, um, the prodigal son, the younger brother, his his his. Um, Departure from the father's house, his uh, wasting his substance with riotous living, um, and then coming to himself, which would represent repentance and the pig pen, and then the fruit of repentance. Um, uh, the one thing that I say in the message is the root of repentance is the coming to yourself, and the fruit of repentance uh, re- repentance is the change of direction. So the root is a change of mind. The fruit is a change of direction. The Lord says, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. So the root and the fruit, and I always, I, I bear down on that. That's something, I don't think that came um, from the book. That's I don't, I'm not exactly sure exactly where I picked that up at. Uh, that might have been through personal study. The other thing that I, that I inserted in the sermon um, that I noticed about is the pattern that unfolds from the three the the trilogy of lost things in chapter 15 is that something is, uh, something is owned or possessed or you have you you know where it's at you you know and then you lose something and then you find it it is found in some way 
and then you call your friends and your your neighbors and you have a great celebration. And so the the, the pattern that I that I picked up on reading these is it's a, it's a pattern of lost found party. And I have a little fun with it. I, I make some jokes about how um, you know how it, it would seem almost ridiculous to have a party because you lost uh, a coin. Um, but for some reason, in, in this culture back then, that was, you know, is normally apparently the people came over and celebrated. They, they all thought, yeah, that's exactly what you do. When you lose, lose a sheep and you find it, you have a party. You lose a coin, you find it, you have a party. Well, obviously, if you lose a son and you find it, you have a party. But the, the more, uh, I think, the repetitive nature of this pattern shows, you know, something that the church should be engaged in doing is when we find something, we need to celebrate. When, you know, there's joy in the presence of angels over one sinner that repents, I think we, if heaven is celebrating, we should be celebrating. We don't need to wait until, well, I, I want to see them, you know, I, I want to see the change. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I want to see it. I desire it, but I'm not saying I'm holding off on the celebration before that happens. And I think sometimes we underplay the value of repentance and overplay, um, you know, the, the, the walk afterward. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying, man, if we were, you know, maybe we could we could celebrate those initial steps that people are taking in a, in a way that, um, well, I'm, I'm getting off on, uh, uh, and I'm actually starting to preach. <laughs> and I said I'm not preaching, so I'm not going to preach. Um, and so the the idea going further is the younger brother is such a open sinner that we recognize it. Everybody can look and say, yes, he has no morality. He's not trying to pretend like he's godly. Um, and his request reveals his heart. I want your stuff. Dad, I want, if you could, I want the, the living that belongs to me, which only comes, usually only comes after the father's dead. So it's very insulting that is a request that I, I wish I wish you were dead where I could have your stuff. I don't want you, I want your stuff. I don't want your rules, I want your stuff. So he makes this... Uh, audacious request, and the Father gives it to him. And he goes and he wastes his substance with riotous living. Now, there's so many, again, there's so many preaching points here. Um, and if, if you want, I can link that. I might actually do that. I'm starting to link stuff. I don't think it comes through an Apple, um, but on Spotify, you can actually click the links uh, in the description and, and take this. I might try to find that. Um, and if you want to see the actual uh, sermon, you can do that. But the the point of the the... the the sermon is not even the title of Brother, uh, uh, Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God, which he, the word prodigal, which I think is a brilliant um, point to make, I've always thought of in the context of growing up and hearing this sermon, that prodigal would mean backslidden or wayward. When we talk about praying for our prodigals, we usually assign it the context of they're away from God and they need God, but that's not what prodigal actually means. Prodigal uh, actually means um, extravagant waste or or spending, um, I wouldn't say frivolously, recklessly extravagant. Let's put it that way. I think that's what uh, Keller says. And having spent everything. So that's when the, the he says after, after spending everything. So it's recklessly extravagant. And the point of Keller's book, which is a brilliant point, is that, that as the young brother wasted his inheritance with riotous living, if you notice when he comes to be restored, that the father spares no expense. He says, bring forth the best robe, kill the fatted calf. I want the ring. I want, I want the sandals. And all of those things have their own preaching points. And if you preach all of this in the message, you'll be preaching for hours and hours and hours. Again, it's an inexhaustible uh, resource of, of, of treasure. But the, the point is that he spent recklessly to restore the younger brother. And this is something that's borne out in the epistles. It says, where sin doth abound, grace does 
much more abound. So God is willing to spend more for your redemption than you are to waste your life. What you're willing to spend in sin, God says, I will, I will double it. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will go above and beyond. And Isaiah, the prophet says, he poured out his soul unto death. He gave everything to restore us, to bring us back in communion with him. And so the whole point of Keller's book is that the God, the father is prodigal, not just the son. The son wasted and spent recklessly, but he says it's hereditary. <laughs> and I love that, that the father there is waiting to throw a lavish party in celebration and restoration of the son. But the message that I would take, and, and Keller touches on this in the, in the book as well, and it's brilliant, is that at the end of the story, we have the outsider is brought in, the younger brother is brought into the house, and the insider is left standing out. And that is the elder brother, when he's coming from the field, he hears the music and the dancing and the partying. They're having a party, lost, found party, lost, found party. And so they're having this party, and the, 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 the scripture records that he was angry. He says, I'm not going to go in. And so what does the father do? The father does the same thing that he does. This is a great point. The father does the same thing that he does with the younger brother. He, he goes out to bring the, the older child in now. And this is an incredible story because, again, you got to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to sinners, publicans, tax collectors, and he's also talking to religious people. And Jesus is signaling, guys, I'm about to, I'm about to bring your younger brothers home. All these sinners, I'm bringing them in the father's house. And the older brother doesn't like it. And so the, the Pharisees and the scribes are standing there like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. No, you can't do this. You know, we're the religious ones. We're the ones that were moral and we did what we were supposed to do. And so listen to the words of the older brother. It's like, I have been with you always. You know, I stayed, dad. I worked. You know, I, I stayed in the fields. And that's what he was literally doing that when they're parting with the younger brother. It's not that he did not do the good things. It's the motive. Listen to his words. The request of the younger brother at the beginning of the story reveals his heart. The request of the older brother or the, the complaint of the older brother reveals his heart. He says, you never did this for me. I didn't, have a, I didn't have a party with my friends, and I'm the guy that showed up. And so you've got this very religious mindset that I should have the father's things as well. I just went about it a different way. The younger brother asks. He's audacious. He says, I just want it. The older brother says, I'll work for it. And so our understanding of lostness has to go deeper than the, the, the outlandish sinner that we look at and say, well, they're definitely sinners. But Jesus is trying to expose that lostness goes so much deeper that, that there are some things, there are some sins that are harder to spot. You know, there's this very legalistic tendency. It's like, oh, I, I earned this. You owe me this, God. You're obligated to celebrate my morality. You know, I, I, I deserve that blessing because I did show up for work day and I paid my tithes and I am faithful on Wednesday night Bible study. All the things that the older brother is pointing out to his father out here and his father again is, 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 is recklessly extravagant in his spending. He goes, son, you have it all. You know, you, you got it all. You're going to have it all. You know, it's all, all, all I have right now is yours. And maybe that's maybe that's a maybe that's the thing that's bothering the older brother. He knows that the party has happening is at his expense, so to speak. And so we have to get out of this mindset that um, that we don't want to share the wealth of God's blessings with the people that God are bringing in 
in this last day. And there's other parables that bear that out as too. You've got the 11th hour worker as well and the folks that had worked for more than what they had worked for as far as the long days. They were upset that they got paid the same amount. So there's there's many ways to preach this and I, and I've preached it, 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 and I have preached it many ways as well. But how I close with it and something I think it's it's so rele- uh, relevant or and also revelatory is that the parable is open ended, like there, you don't you don't know what happens to the older brother, and I think there's power in that. It's almost like if you've read those books growing up, the choose your own ending. He's he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes there, and he's looking at them. It's like I'm about to bring in your younger brother. You're not going to like it. You're already murmuring and complaining that I'm spending too much time with sinners. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to bring them in and we're going to have a big celebration. And he basically give he puts it to them at the end of the story. It's like, okay, you're outside the party. Now, I, I love the fact that he don't say, and the, and the older brother stayed out and pouted and he didn't come inside. He didn't say that. He said that that's what they were doing, but he, it was open-ended. So inexplicitly, the story ends with us not knowing if the older brother came into the party or not. And it's almost like he was looking at the Pharisees and scribes saying, all right, your move. What do you, do you want to come in? Because you can come in, and it's and it's right for you to come in. You should be glad. We got to make merry. Why the brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost, and now he's found. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of grace. What were you? What are you going to do? And so, and I, I personally believe this is something I don't preach, but I personally believe that the reason he did this is because, and and we we give Pharisees and scribes a bad name. Obviously, they they earned it in the in the New Testament as far as how they treated Jesus. Uh, and and but the fact is that. They're, they're not a monolith. I believe that many of them were saved. Oh, my Lord, you, you think of Paul. He boasts that he was a Pharisee, a Pharisee. Look what happens when a Pharisee, when, look what happens when an older brother does come in to the house and, and celebrate. You know, he was outside the party, literally persecuting his younger brothers. But then when he came in, when he came in, look, look what the older brother can do. We're not, we're not down on older brothers. We're saying, get your motives right, get your heart right. And, and you can be a force for the kingdom of God. So older brothers come in, younger brothers come in. Uh, the prodigal father will spend for both of you. That was the crux of the message. Uh, this has been Adventures in uh, Preaching on the Kenny Chester Podcast. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Kenny Chester Podcast. Please consider subscribing and leaving a review. 